And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Audible presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman. Bruce, it is a beautiful Monday morning here in Sunnyvale, California, after many weeks of rain. Made all the better. Well, people here are celebrating the fact that the 49ers won on Sunday. I am celebrating the fact that the Cincinnati Bengals are back in the AFC Championship game for a second year in a row. You know what, Stu, it dawned on me as I sit there watching, looking at you in your Cincinnati Bengals t-shirt, that this might be the first team you and I have ever rooted for at the same time. I think we we're yeah, both, I mean, we've gotten here differently. Yeah, you're here because of Burrow. I'm, I'm kind of Burrow here. and Jamar Chase, but yes. I'm kind of here because of Burrow, because as I talked about last year, I basically checked out on them for 30 years, and then they drafted Burrow, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then they got good, but man, they kicked the crap out of the Buffalo Bills, and it wasn't just Burrow. They have a really good defense, which makes me think, like last year's playoff run felt a little bit smoke and mirrors. This year, it feels like they're really good. It's amazing to see what he, he being Joe Burrow, has done for that, done for that franchise, maybe even that city, if you want to say that, where I think the biggest thing he has is just this, just this uh, incredible, uh, he's the guy, when you hear this term, whatever sport makes people better around them. You you talk to people and I I have a story I'm working on now about and a specific NFL quarterback. And we got to talking about different guys and, you know, and the one thing where it's like, okay, if you're going to be a first round quarterback, you have to have some elite trait. And what is that with Joe Burrow? It's not like he has a good arm, not a great arm. He's fast, but he's not Lamar Jackson fast. He's, you know, he's got pretty good size, but he's not huge. All these other things, but it's the it factor thing where the guy goes, yeah, he oozes that. And everybody, you know, it's not like their offensive line is, is, has ever been that good but they have played a lot better and everything around them is getting so is just playing so well to see them. And I can't say I got to watch any of this because we were driving back from San Diego for a soccer tournament. And so we're listening to the game on the radio and I'm like, Holy cow, they're dominating the bills. You know, it's just like, it's, it's amazing how much he is. I mean, you were, I don't want to call you a diehard Bengals fan. I think that's not fair to, no, especially since I don't really start paying attention until January. But just to see what this, there's nothing fluky about it, right? I mean, no, it's and incredible. In fact, what was crazy about yesterday is they're down two starting offensive linemen. Another one gets hurt during the game, and they still like ran the ball so well. But also, I mean, the the problem for at least a year and a half was he was always getting sacked, and he had a clean pocket. They kind of I was surprised they didn't blitz more, but I guess that's because they're scared he's gonna hit them on the deep ball. But anyway, it was it was a very convincing win. Now they go play Kansas City, but the quarterback everybody's talking about right now is Brock Purdy, and I don't know. I feel like because of because of our vantage point as college football followers, it's a little bit different. Like everybody refers to him as Mister Irrelevant, but because he was the last pick of the draft, but like. I feel like usually Mr. Irrelevant is some small school guy you've never heard of or a kicker. Brock Purdy was a four-year starter in the Big 12 who played in some really big games, who took them to the Fiesta Bowl. So it's not like he's a complete nobody. But if you'd asked me a year ago, I would not have guessed he'd be starting in the NFC Championship game. No, I mean, and that's this is the story I'm working on for this week the athletic is really about what people in the what nfl scouts and quarterback coaches saw on film compared to what he is now and the upside of it is he played a ton of football as you said 
And so sometimes, and this guy made this point, he goes, sometimes, you know, it could be a quarterback who's had maybe a year and a half of starting where it's like, you've watched him, but maybe you haven't seen everything. Whereas when you played as much football as Brock Purdy played, you know, all your flaws are, are crystally clear in terms of what people see. And so again, getting back to what I said a minute ago about Burrow and the elite traits, I think when people looked at it, the thing that has surprised some folks, you know, real NFL, you know, evaluators and coaches is his athleticism was, was by the way they looked at it, average or slightly above average. And it's looked better while he's playing the stuff you can't measure, the poise and his ability to process that is been much you know that he's in a place where it is highly valued and that's a big part of what the Niners put on their quarterback and he has responded really well and it's also not you know like that's a super talented team around him I mean you have Debo Samuel you have George Kittle's one of the best tight ends you have an you know fantastic offensive line you have now Christian McCaffrey who's a really good running back and you have a talented defense and Shanahan's you know brilliant offensively so i think all the parts are coming together but you keep looking at it going man this guy's still a rookie and he's not really i mean the closest thing maybe to like the bonehead moment was like at the end of the first half where they they're going to try to settle for a field goal and he throws you know he almost runs out the clock you know holds on to the ball too long and they end up kicking the field goal one second but in general you know the presence and the maturity and all that stuff the intangible qualities have been terrific. And, you know, I don't think anybody looks back and go, oh, where was this guy um, in the Big 12? You know, like they had one of the best, they had the best season in school history with him there, right? You know, like they finished ninth. And then, um, you know, like I, I go back to this and I thought about this last night after realizing they're going to play the Eagles. Like we had, my crew had there was the mat. The only time I guess they played each other was the year Jalen Hurts was was at OU, and Iowa State comes in there, and I felt like within like five minutes it was like twenty one to nothing, and OU's all over them. And at at halftime it's thirty five to fourteen, and I just you know can remember Matt Campbell telling me like I don't you know I don't know if it's this or that. The one thing I do know is our guys are going to play their asses off or their butts off. And they did. And he, you know, like Purdy threw for five touchdowns and only had, I think he ran for one more and it came down to a two point play at the end of the game. They almost came back to win. They lost 42, 41. And so, you know, it's, it's been, it's been fun to see. I still can't quite believe that he may be starting a, a Super Bowl. You know, I mean, I think the Eagles will probably win, but who knows? Hey, don't rule. Yeah. Don't rule out the Niners there. I know the Eagles have been, on fire Brock Purdy beat Oklahoma a top 10 Oklahoma team a top 10 West Virginia team uh I'm just looking over his career here at number 20 Texas this is in 20 this was the big 2020 season they won at they beat eight they beat number 18 Oklahoma they beat number 20 Texas they beat they they lost Oklahoma in the big 12 title game and then they beat Oregon in the Fiesta Bowl this guy's won some big games um, I think I wonder where he would have been drafted if he'd come out a year early. And I don't even know if that was a possibility, but he did have a disappointing Iowa State had a disappointing senior season. And in fact, if you're an Iowa State fan today, obviously you're very proud. You're very excited about what he's doing. Are you a little bit bittersweet, though, that they didn't do better his senior year when they had him? Brees Hall, who was, a, I believe, at one point, an NFL Rookie of the Year candidate. And they had brought almost everybody back from the year before. They were a preseason top 10 team and they ended up only going seven and six. And then everybody left and they, they fell apart this year. Like as much as we praise Matt Campbell on this podcast, maybe underachieved a little bit that last year, given who he had. Yeah. I mean, look, even the year that year, um, they beat a top 10 uh, Oklahoma state team. What they were eight, number eight in the country. You look at some of these close losses of that team, and I think it's interesting to note. So they did lose to Iowa by 10, but you go down the list, they lost by two at, at Baylor. They lost by uh, by three at Texas Tech, 
lost by a touchdown at number 17 OU and then lost by a touchdown um, against Clemson in the bowl game. I mean, yeah, they had a lot of bad breaks that year. They, yeah, it's like they were seven and six. They probably could have been, you know, nine and four. Not, I, I don't know if that still feels like it's probably underachieving considering, you know, he had a terrific tight end. He had a couple of really good tight ends, not just one. So, and um, yeah, I, I think there's probably a lot of that going on. So you mentioned he's facing Jalen Hurts, and this is where uh, there's a little bit of randomness, I feel, to who who succeeds in the NFL and who doesn't. Obviously, we remember well the Jalen Hurts to a quarterback derby going into the 2018 season. Remember Maria Taylor, he saving got a little testy with her before, you know, asking him before that opener which guy he was going to start. Um, but Tua, Tua took over, Tua excelled. And I feel like at Jalen Hurts' career at Alabama, even though he started in two national title games, everybody always thought he wasn't a, that great a passer. 10 out of 10 people, if you'd ask them who's going to have a better NFL career, who's going to be more likely to be starting in a conference championship game, Tua or Jalen Hurts, 10 out of people, 10 people, don't you think, would have said Tua? Probably so. I think the the interesting thing, just from knowing some people who who are around that team, in Tua, it was like, it was, there was a little bit of a Brett Favre, well, I'm just throwing to the open receiver, maybe not processing it much differently than just kind of a gunslinger kind of that way. Whereas Jalen Hurts, I think people knew, you know, knew his stuff, but maybe didn't trigger, pull the trigger a little bit as quickly. Um, I think, and I know this from now talking to people for this story, um, Jalen Hurts has gotten a lot better in terms of, I think he has wowed some, some NFL people in his development and how he's cleaned up his mechanics. And the thing he's always had, I think, was a competitiveness and a toughness and he's really smart um i i have always kind of rooted for him in the nfl because we had a bunch of their games like i when um kyler murray was at ou my crew almost never had their oklahoma but for some reason i felt like we had like four jalen hurts games and so i would you know ou gave them to me on tuesdays sometimes for interviews and you knew he was really smart i thought and the thing that was interesting was he would you, you get in a conversation, you'd ask your questions and there would always be like one where Jalen Hurts would like kind of either tag on to something or answer a question that you didn't ask. And it was almost like there was something deep there or whatever. And I remember th- I, like after maybe one of the last interviews I had with him, I remember saying someday you're going to have someday you're going to write a book. I can feel it. And I don't know what he I don't remember what he said. He's kind of laughed. But like, there's definitely a lot there and he's pretty deep. And, um, you know, I feel like, you know, almost everybody has some kind of chip on their shoulder and I'm not saying it's manufactured or not, but you could really feel his in terms of like, I think he, I think he, I don't know if he, if he really has a list of all the doubters and people who didn't, you know, but like, there's, there's something deep in there with him and it's been cool to see him keep developing because like you said i don't know if it was 10 out of 10 but just for the people you know like he took over after carson wentz struggled and they were doing the same stuff and i seem like they they transitioned a little more to like some of the stuff he did at ou and he has flourished you know and he's one game away from playing in a super bowl and that's that's yeah look he got a lot better when he got to oklahoma and maybe maybe the reputation didn't catch up quickly enough because people remembered Alabama. I actually vividly remember Alabama's spring game going into what had been his third season that, you know, they always had Saban. I don't know if they still do this, but I feel like every year at the Alabama spring game, Herb Street and Galloway would stand right next to Saban and he would talk to them as the game was going on. And he, he had a really frustrated say there was a play where Jalen took off running and, and, and I don't know if this is maybe supposed to not be on public, but uh, Saban turns to him and he goes, third year guy, and he's still doing that. You know, like he wanted him to stay in the pocket longer. His <clears throat> senior year at Oklahoma, he goes from um, 60.4% passer his last full season in Alabama to 697 
his yards per attempt goes from 8.2 to 11.3. His passer rating goes from 150.2 to 191.2. And some I of that, though, real, yeah, some, some of that, that is Lincoln Riley's system. Some of that also could be maybe playing in some little easier defenses. Oh, and, now you're going to rile up the big 12. No, I, I don't think it's a look. I just think there is probably more high level defenders in that league than there is in the big 12. I think that's right. However, okay, this weekend in the conference championships, you got Joe Burrow. Mm -hmm. The other three, Jalen Hurts, who I know you got to claim both conferences, but he's played his last season in the big 12. Uh, Brock Purdy and Pat Mahomes. What do they all have in common? Well, a lot of big, a lot of big 12 is what you're saying. Now go back a couple rounds or I guess around. Skylar Thompson started in a playoff game. Geno Smith started a playoff game. You've got elsewhere in the league. You've got, this is off the top of my head. Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray. You know, for all the talk of like their defense, there's no defense, blah, blah, blah. I mean, they keep turning out all these NFL quarterbacks. There's something. I think it's uh, – I don't think the Big 12 gets enough credit for what they – how, you know, just the the going back to Sam Bradford and Colt McCoy, like Chase Daniels still in the league. They put out NFL quarterbacks. Thank you for, by the way, making Chase Daniel a Big Twelve quarterback because he's been in the league so long that he never, he never, he never was in the SEC. So, That's correct. <laughs> uh, Chase Daniel could have been like a Big Eight quarterback. It feels like I'm sure the SEC network is showing Chase Daniels, you know, classic games. If there was a Big Twelve network next year, they could pick up um, Desmond Ritter and Zach Wilson. <laughs> Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, Stu, back to the podcast in a second, but now a word from our sponsor, LinkedIn Talent Solutions. When you are hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just a jobs board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within the first 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash audible. That's linkedin.com slash audible to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Let's talk about something going on in college football, shall we? Okay. What the heck is going on in Ann Arbor? I mean, they had this dream season, not dream, you know, they had a great season. They beat Ohio State again. They won the Big Ten undefeated. Obviously, disappointing semifinal loss. Since the season has ended, Jim Harbaugh had another NFL flirtation. It comes out that Jim Harbaugh is under NCA invest in the program or under NCA investigation. He may have lied to the NCA. He may get suspended. And they have a whole other scandal going on where last week they had to fire their co-OC Matt Weiss, who we don't know exactly what happened, but it's something to do with computers. <laughs> Something to do. What was the exact wording of the police investigation? I don't even remember. Now, this is, I think, 
it's related to university uh police more than it's like a federal thing right it's right still right. not good um but Computer i think your access crimes yeah i think when we first heard it i think uh, you know a lot of folks minds went to the you know the most unsavory sides of things that you maybe hear and maybe the more we've heard it doesn't sound like it's that um and along those lines but still not good as you said nca investigation in the works you have jim harbaugh whether he misled investigators and how he responded to this um you know it's it's weird because on one hand you do have they have it's not all been bad news because like i'm amazed that blake quorum is coming back he's a running back who got injured yeah. at the end of the year made a run at the heisman yet he's coming back they have a bunch of guys who did their one more year fund and they are coming back. They have a really good batch of players who transferred in from the portal, um, especially on the offensive line. So that part, I guess if you're a, you know, whether Football wise, they have all the pieces to have a really special season again, but there's all this yeah. dysfunction. And we'll see, is Jim Harbaugh going to be suspended two games? Could it be as many as six? We'll see how that's going to play out um not a never a dull moment i mean right now at at that program so the the um the nca case by all accounts and boy a lot of stuff has leaked out about it involves mostly pretty minor um level two violations by the football program um but lying to the nca misleading the nca is a level one violation and it can result in a suspension um, if it's a long enough, some, some coaches have obviously gotten fired over it. Uh, I don't think Michigan's playing to fire Jim Harbaugh or they wouldn't have had that. The president would have put out that, um, you know, glowing statement that he was coming back. By the way, is it also a little weird that it feels like there's a step missing when some of this comes up? It's like the president is involved and Ward Manuel, the AD, you know, you hear rumblings, how good the relationship is between Jim Harbaugh and the AD. And I don't know if this is Mike not anymore, not anymore. What? You said Harbaugh has a good relationship with the AD? No, I didn't say that. I said you hear rumblings about how good the AD relationship is with the AD. The AD, so um, Austin Meeks had some good reporting on this for The Athletic. He said they hadn't talked, they haven't talked in months. They're talking through intermediaries. He has not said a word about all this. Dan Wetzel at Yahoo had some good details, broke some good details about, basically it sounds like Harbaugh, being Harbaugh, being very stubborn, does not want to admit that he lied to NCAA investigators. He's claiming he just didn't remember something. And the weird thing about this is it used to be a very formal process where they charged you with allegations, then you went to a hearing. But Michigan and the NCAA appear to be just like negotiating this thing, like trying to come to a plea deal. And he, if he doesn't, here, this is from Wetzel's story. A level one violation could carry a six-game suspension and significant recruiting restrictions according to NCAA statutes. During two-minute meetings this week, the NCAA and Harbaugh held firm and refused to back down from their positions. The NCAA said the coach lied. The coach said he merely forgot otherwise insignificant actions and impasse resulted. Basically, if he would just cop to lying, he would probably get suspended next year, but that would be the end of it. If he doesn't budge... Get a suspension next year. Not get yes. suspension. Yes. If he doesn't budge then and they can't come to an agreement, then this thing will get dragged out and go through the whole committee on infractions process. And I have to think Michigan just wants it to be over with. So I just, you know, he's always kind of marches to the beat of his own drum. And I don't necessarily think he's just going to fall in line and do what Michigan and or the NCAA want him to. Yeah. And I, you know, you know, taking two steps back, it's almost like if he had, if he interviewed better, he'd probably be an NFL coach right now, head coach. Yeah. I mean, we'll shock or call it a shock that he's not a great interviewer. Uh, he's not a great interviewer. I think he comes, I, from what I gather and what I've heard is he kind of comes in, shoots from the hip. Maybe he's not prepared for these things. You know, everybody has a calendar, everybody has a schedule in football. And if they don't, um, that's an outlier and i think that's i don't know the, you know that expression it's not a bug it's a feature or whatever that is that's kind of jim harbaugh do you think he just kind of is like at this point in his career i'm jim harbaugh i took the 49ers super bowl taking michigan to back-to-back -back playoffs 
I don't need to audition for you. I do. And I'm honestly one of those people who are like, yes, you are. You were 44 and 19. And I'm sure there's a method to the madness. But the other side of it is if you're the Broncos, you just spent $4 billion to buy this team. You know, I think you probably want somebody to show the, you know, show the math on the, on, you know, your, show your work on your math. And so I think that's where there's a disconnect with him. As I said on here last week, it's not like the NFL is teaming with like elite coaches right now, right? Bill Belichick feels like he's on the downward slide. Um, it's a lot of young 37 year old whiz kid types. Some of the game management decisions in these playoff games has been puzzling. And then he's sitting over here having taken a team to the Super Bowl. Um, just like all these accomplishments to me, it would be kind of a no brainer other than obviously the reputation is he's really hard to work with. And I think Michigan's seeing that right now where he's basically not answering to anybody um, about the Sensier stuff. Just to take it back to Matt Weiss for a second. We honestly don't know what the computer access thing is. Um, if by any chance it involves something that would have given Michigan a competitive advantage, that too would fall under the NCAA violation bucket and maybe make this a little more serious than just level two infractions. So something, something to keep an eye on going forward. Let's do some emails. As always, send your questions to the audible pod at gmail.com. Brian Black in Atlanta. Hi, Stu and Bruce. LSU came in at number four in Stu's two early top 25. They returned the bulk of their offense and added Oregon State transfer linebacker Omar Spates, a first-team all-Pac-12 selection in the transfer portal. They also have a manageable schedule with a neutral site game against Florida State and going to Alabama. If you are an LSU fan, are you expecting a playoff appearance or hoping for a playoff appearance in year two of Brian Kelly? Good question, Brian. Um... I am expecting it, and I will tell you why. We had uh, our friend Aaron Suttles, who covers Alabama, on the other day. And I, again, you and I both think Nick Sam is going to win another national title again, but I don't feel like the pieces are there for, to make me feel like they should be the favorite. You know, whereas at LSU, you have one quarterback in Jaden Daniels who's played a lot, who got a lot better with Joe Sloan there, you know, helping him on the offensive side. Garrett Nussmeyer's talented as a backup, can play. You've got a lot of pieces back. You got an, a young offensive line, largely, that, you know, is promising. You get Mason Smith back. You had Harold Perkins, who's like, to me, that, you know, maybe the most talented you know, young player on defense in the SEC. I just think there's a lot to really like about what that, where they are. I think, Brian, that you should be expecting them. I mean, I don't, is it a lock? No, but I think the pieces are in place where you had them for, Stu. I think that's, that's a really good spot. Counterpoint, even though I'm the guy that put them number four, I don't know how you can say expecting for two reasons. Yes, I agree with you about everything you just said that on paper, I have they have more reasons to be confident than Alabama. That said, we, I'm, I might be giving them a little too much credit considering during their season, they had some high moments. They beat Alabama. They also lost 40 to 13 to Tennessee and lost 38-23 to, to a five and seven A&M team and 50 to 30 to Georgia in the SEC title game. And that's the other thing. There's no guarantee there's going to be two SEC teams in the playoff. You're telling me, you, I can't imagine you have more confidence in LSU than Georgia. No, I don't. I do not. Um, I think maybe the better question would be, do you expect to win the SEC West? And I would say yes. The one, the one thing that I don't feel great about, um, and I, all the things you said are, are valid, um, is they do have to go to Tuscaloosa this year and it's coming off a loss, you know, for Alabama. Um, that's not great, you know. Um, I also think it's you have a bye week before as usual, but the week before they got Army, that's not a fun matchup to have. Um, yeah, why are they playing that game then? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Like you want to play Army at the beginning of the year or, in a, you know, where you have time to prepare for it or something, but like, just, I don't know that it, it, the schedule is 
to me not ideal um for this but look you know the reason why i said expecting is every coach who has been there in the last 25 years has won a national title every head coach i feel like this is probably a great you know an ideal window for 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 brian kelly to get to that i don't know if he can win a national title but to get to the playoff there because you have Alabama is definitely in reload mode. I don't want to say rebuild mode, but like Bryce Young is gone. Will Anderson's gone. Like I know there's there's elite recruits coming in, but I feel like this is a good window for them to hit it. You've got AM is down. Um, I think Freeze will build Auburn up, but I don't, you know, it's like to me, this is the window right now. You have I don't know. Like, I feel like this is, this is, this may be as good. This is a, a really good shot for them. The other problem, I'm starting to talk myself out of LSU a little bit is, you know, I think LSU is going to be really good. I didn't put them top five for no reason, but I think Florida state's going to be really good too. And they open the season against Florida state in Orlando. It's funny. If you look at the week one schedule in college football this year, that Saturday is underwhelming. There is no blockbuster type games that for the, the, I mean, I'm not kidding here when I say the quote unquote best game might be Penn State, West Virginia. Um, but Sunday is LSU, Florida State and Orlando. They will both be top 10 teams. So if you lose that, then you're going to have a real hard time making the playoff. If you win, you know, you're in good shape, but um, you've still got to deal with Alabama and then Georgia is still hovering on the other side. So if uh, long story short, here's what I would expect. I would expect double digit wins. And I would expect to be playing in a better bowl than the Citrus Bowl next year. Playoff, definitely have a, a reasonable chance. How about optimistic? You can be optimistic. Optimistic. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, that's a better way. I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have jumped, jumped the gun on that. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Stu, this question is from Ryan, who is a Florida transplant living in San Francisco. Hey, guys, big fan of the pod. Already looking forward to the annual offseason class with Ralph Russo on the coaching <laughs> rankings. I am, too. I know Stu is not. If you really want him to yeah, go. I, wait, I can't wait for Ralph to come on here and tell us how Mac Brown is a top 10 coach. Man, you're already you're just taking shots at Ralph. Yeah. Um, if you really want to go nuts, bring Ari into the mix. Oh, my gosh. Have you ever seen anyone get under anyone's skin in sports running quite the way Ari gets under Ralph's skin. I must have missed this. No, I have, I have, you know what I have? Cause I know there's people who get under your skin and I'm not going to bring them up on the podcast. Yeah. But that's more like <laughs> offline conversations. Ralph and Ralph is incredulous with Ari and it shows on his Twitter feed and, and when they've been on a podcast together. All right, go ahead with the question. Uh, thoughts on the long-term impact of the Jaden Rashada situation, specifically regarding Billy Napier at Florida or even Scott Strickland, the AD. 
know that he has, as the head coach, had nothing to do with any contracts or promises, but it seems to be a PR nightmare for the school. I'm a sane Gator fan and know we have a long rebuild after cycling through coaches left and right, but how will this impact Napier's chance to turn things around? I know Bruce is a big Billy fan. Any chance of the long-term outlook? Hmm. Well, first of all, I've been a little bit puzzled at how down Florida fans have got on, on Billy Napier, frankly, before he even coached his first game and certainly after the first season. First seasons are usually, you know, not indicative of much. Um, but I think the Rashada, whatever you want to call it, fiasco has kind of been one of the things that's 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 weighed him down. Um, this was supposed to be his quarterback. They didn't get him for various reasons. Maybe most of it's not in his control. But that's that's the whole problem. These NIL collectives, they're technically not affiliated with the school. They're a third party. We don't have anything to do with them, blah, blah, blah. But what they do has a direct impact on the program. It doesn't look good for Billy Napier in Florida that they ended up losing their, you know, high four-star quarterback for whatever reason it was. And, and by the way, you know, the Gator collective, I feel like most of these collectives have kind of operated under the radar. Their dirty laundry is all out there now. So I don't know that anybody's going to get fired over it. But I think it um, has definitely contributed to a negative perception about Billy Napier that you wouldn't expect to be there after just one season. I also think what hurt Billy Napier, look, Dan Mullen is no secret, was not a very good recruiter, right? And that the lack of talent inside that program that he took over, this was going to be a significant rebuild. Now, if you're a Florida fan, like, I think it was a real gut punch to see them get blown out of the building in the bowl game by Oregon State. Like, Jonathan Smith's a really good coach, and I think that's a solid team. But I think for, for any SEC fan to see uh, Oregon State do that, like, it was like, whoa. That I mean, Anthony I think Anthony Richardson didn't play in that game, correct? No, it was um, the former Ohio State quarterback, Jack Miller, who played. Not that he's, you know, I mean, he had his his ups and downs. But, sure. like, you know, look, and this is not the first, like, a couple of years ago, Oklahoma could have put up, like, beaten Florida by, like, 40, I think, in the bowl game. So it's not, I think they're familiar with this. Other than, you know, it's weird. It was, it was an odd year in that they had a bunch of relatively close losses to good teams. I think I'm looking back at this now. Um, they beat Utah, which that win looks very good. They smashed South Carolina when South Carolina was was playing well. They beat them by 30 or even 30 plus. And then if you go through, I think they had like five losses against good teams or pretty good teams by 10 points or less. Lost by 10 to Kentucky. Lost by five at Tennessee. Lost by 10 to LSU. Lost... Ooh, they lost to Vanderbilt. Let's let me. Lost by seven. <laughs> that was that was that, that sorry, kind of missed that one. Lost by seven at FSU, and you know, I but you and I both think um, FSU is good. So I don't want to say like they got whipped by Georgia, but it was like you know that's Georgia. Georgia is definitely way more talented than them. Um, I don't know. I, I'm as um. You know, as Ryan said, I am a. I did like the Billy Napier hire. I think you got to be more patient with him, um, because he did not inherit a very talented roster, and I think there was parts where it got exposed and see where this goes. And also, like Ryan said, because they have yo-yoed hires pretty much since Urban left, um, it's been a lot of false starts. There's been some good some good talent and some not so good talent. And I think the, like the expectations are sky high. And I, you and I have talked about this before, which one thing that has changed a lot for Florida is Kirby smart has got Georgia as an alpha program. Like Georgia was not like that when urban was there. It was not like that when Ron Zook was there. I mean, it's just different. It, was, it wasn't not like it, that when Will Muschamp was there. No, it's, it's, it, it became like that when Dan Mullen got settled in there, but that's relatively recent. Now what's going to make it harder is Florida state went from being, you know, 
a dud to this year, Florida State start has really started to turn. I mean, they were already starting to turn, but like now Florida State becomes a destination again, not just for transfer guys, then I think it just is going to make that job a lot harder because we know Georgia's not going to start to fall. Um, so it's, and look, you know, we'll see what happens at Miami with Mario Cristobal because they had a bad year. One thing they did do is they landed a bunch of big recruits that, that might've gone to Florida. And that's definitely not going to help because that we know he's going to recruit well. Um, so I was just thinking years you're rattling off some old Florida coaches. Do you know that they aren't, they're onto their fourth head coach just since 2014. That was must champs last year. Then there was the very brief and very unmemorable Jim McElwain. Ooh, I, you know what? I've completely forgot about that. I did too. I did too. I was just thinking about that. And then Mullen only lasted four years. And and now we're on to, but here's the weird thing. You kept talking about how Dan Mullen's such a bad recruiter. And I, I don't necessarily disagree, but this is why it's tough in the SEC. You know that in 2020, Florida under Mullen had the number nine class in the country. In 2021, he had the number 12 class in the country. These aren't necessarily disastrous, you know, at least on rankings, but there's no question they're they're way far behind Georgia and others in talent. I think the concern with Napier is the first full class of a new coach is often very good because that's when excitement for the new staff is very high. And with Rashada out of there now, they are number third. They they finished number thirteen. What which, by the way? What I'm sorry. What did you say they were in 2020? Number nine. Yeah, here's the the part that's hard about that, and you need context. They were number nine, but they were number six in the sec alone georgia was out of alabama lsu texas a&m and auburn this year they are also number six in the sec so look mike norvell uh across the state has you know i think done a fantastic job in the transfer portal and i think billy napier is going to have to do the same jim jim weber very devout listener to the podcast no question and he was just wondering who we think would be prime candidates to be the next big 10 commissioner I mean, I guess that starts with, you know, the last go around, it was Jim Phillips job right up until the last second. And then they decided to go with Kevin Warren. Would you poach the sitting commissioner of the ACC? I would. I'm a big Jim Phillips fan. Um, Jim Phillips has had um, some less than ideal moments as the ACC commissioner, but I feel like sometimes at the poker table he's sitting there with a bunch of threes and fours and but by the way jim phillips unless this has changed recently still has not sold his house in chicago um he's definitely got a lot of ties to the area i feel like he knows like i feel like jim phillips would be a very good hire for them um to me like uh Nicole Auerbach and Matt Fortuna had their candidates list, I want to say about two weeks ago. And I know the Patriot League commissioner who has big 10 ties and is well thought of. She was on there. Um, I'm trying to remember who else was like, oh, yeah, I could I could see that person. And but Jim Phillips was the, was the name that jumped out at me. It's the name I've heard from some people. I mean, what do you think of him? He, he ran the school at your alma mater and did a lot of good things there. Yeah, know him well. He did a great job there. I think, you know, ACC fans are not that high on him. And if you want to point to um, that speech at ACC Media Days last year where he sounded like he was coming from 1993, I get that. But mostly what ACC fans' angst is about was was this TV deal that he didn't do. John, John Swafford left him with this just absolutely like I've heard uh, other commissioner, this was actually a former commissioner, called it the worst TV deal he's ever seen a conference do. And there's no getting out of it right now. So if they were, I'm sure he would jump to the Big Ten if given the opportunity. You go to the Big Ten, the TV deal is already done. It's a good TV deal. That's not what you're dealing with. You're mostly going to be dealing with. I think the most important thing this next commissioner needs to do is mend some fences. I think there's some some relationships that went a little bit south first during the handling of the pandemic in 2020. And then just Kevin Warren, it's not so much about getting USC and UCLA. I think people are pretty happy about that. It was the, 
um, kind of ego trip he went on after that, where he was basically threatening to annex the whole world. And Jim Phillips knows all those, a lot of those people in the Big Ten still. And I think he could mend a lot of fences. But I could also see where they would be like, yeah, you know, his stock isn't as high as it was a few years ago. Let's look elsewhere. Um, if you, the one thing I would, it's more, I, I'm more like, here's what you don't do. They do not need to go make one of these crazy outside the box, like George Klyovkov and. Um, right, your mark though at, at Big 12 is getting high marks from everybody I've talked to. Well, he was, yes. And he was hired to do a specific thing, which was get them this new TV deal. And he did it and he did it very well. That's not the, the new Big Ten commissioner. Doesn't like, like Brett Yormark was brought into a conference that, you know, has been shaking, shaky since OU and Texas left. And his job was to turn them, turn it around and make them a, uh, an attractive conference. Again. So you're saying it's a different job. Yeah, it's, different job. it's not a rebuilding job. It's a, you're, t- you're taking over Georgia, basically Georgia football. And, you know, don't don't mess it up. So, um you know that that and then also like the NCA just hired um the former governor of Massachusetts because they know that a lot of the biggest issues facing college sports over the next few years are going to be decided by courts and legislatures and um it would it might not it might not be the worst idea to follow a similar uh a similar mold there all right Stu. the last question from Blaine in Virginia dear Stu and Bruce Seeing the new playoff format, I don't see how the new 12-team college football playoff can work. The four-team playoff works out perfectly with the semifinal on New Year's Day and the final replacing Monday Night Football in Week 18. Saturday at noon and Monday night are the only open slots in Week 18, a playoff atmosphere with win and you're in stakes and for four games. And we... And can we really have a two-day rest differential? Saturday at noon is the only open slot in the wild card round for two playoff games. How are you going to get TV partners other than ESPN if it competes with their NFL investments? Let's stop there. Um, you're not. Um, the First of all, I'm, I could be wrong, but I feel like Blaine has also written us in the past with another, the 12-team playoffs going to be an utter disaster email. Um, it's... I mean, the answer there's okay, it's twofold. And again, you're dealing with the last two years of the current contract, which are pretty, um, there's not a lot of flexibility there because they're locked into the New Year's Six Bowls and then everything after that. And the answer is they're not going to compete with the NFL. It drives me crazy, by the way. All these people are like, they should play the college championship game on Saturday night. College football's for Saturdays. The NFL's already claimed it. They were not going to put, their uh, national championship game against an, even an NFL regular season game. Um, so they're just going to avoid it. And it's going to be awkward. Um, By the way, so like the FCS national championship game, which you and I both like and everything, they played it on, they, they played it on Sunday. And part I heard is because ESPN had their, you know, like had NFL that day and they were not going to mess with shoehorning it in. And that's something that probably doesn't generate all that much money for ESPN. The, the college football playoff is going to be billions of dollars are going to be invested. They're going to want to make absolutely certain the most possible people can see it. And so what they're going to have to do the first two years is not ideal. Um, the quarterfinals will be on New Year's Day. That's great. Then the semifinals will have to be during the week because there's just no weekend available for it. Um, I've been told probably like a Thursday night and a Friday night. Um, and then the championship game would be on a Monday night, two weeks later than, than, nor- than what it is now. I think everybody agrees that is not ideal going forward. And so I think, and I don't know what it takes to make this happen, but the ideal starting in 2026 would be that they move the whole season up a week and week zero becomes week one so that we can play those, uh, first round and quarterfinal games in December before the NFL really gets, you know, dominates the weekends. And then semifinals on New Year's Day, championship game, the Monday night that it is now. That would work a lot better than what we're talking about, um, where we're playing semifinals, you know, huge, huge games, college football semifinals on like a Friday night. Um, do you get much blowback from your friends who know what you do for a living who are like, why do they play on New Year's Eve? Just like they're just, 
I I got that. You know, it's anecdotal, but I was like, yeah, I wouldn't really yeah, don't want that idea. Blowback, but definitely um, confusion. I mean, it's it's stupid. There's no other way to put it. It's stupid, and it's hard to it's truly hard to explain why that ended up happening. But now we're almost at the I end. Go of the- I go back to that bill. You know, I. I yeah, kind of feel bad of saying this, but I go back to that Bill Hancock. We're going to start a new tradition, and it's like, mm, I don't know about that. You know, like, well, here's what drove me crazy about this past year. So, you know, not to bore people with like ancient history here, but you know, the reason that ended up happening was the Rose Bowl was all before they even agreed to have a 14 playoff. The Rose Bowl extended its contract for 12 years. New Year's Day, five o'clock, you're locked into that. The SEC and the Big 12, at that point, it was Chuck Ninus was running the Big 12. Mike Slive was the SEC commissioner, said, you know what? If you're going to do that, we're going to do the same thing. And they they basically invented a new bowl that would be on prime time on New Year's Day, and they sold it to the Sugar Bowl. So now two-thirds of New Year's Day was claimed um, two out of every three years. So all this time, we're told, like, it's ironclad. The Sugar Bowl has to always be in prime time on New Year's Day. And guess what? This year... When it conflicted with Monday Night Football, they moved the Sugar Bowl to noon on the 30th. No, on the 31st. So it was never as, as ironclad as they said it was. But that's that's how we ended up with New Year's Eve semis. And, you know, I think the ultimate obviously would be if 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 January 1 was semifinal Saturday or semifinal, whatever you want to call it, day every year, the problem is going to be they're trying to do quarterfinals. Well, you, you're probably not going to be able to do four games on New Year's Day. So again, one of them is going to have to move to either New Year's Eve or January 2nd. Yeah. CFP could use some new PR help, I think, with all this. They could just use some new everything. <laughs> I mean, it's absolutely nuts. It's this, it's this, it's the most valuable property in, in American sports outside of the NFL by far. Like you look at a list of like the hundred most watched sports programs. And I think it's like 82 are NFL. And then those are like by far the highest that aren't NFL. And it's run by a bunch of like, they're basically running it on the side, right? It's the commissioners doing it as like a side job. It should be, it should be a very centralized singular focused organization that whose whole purpose is to run the college football playoff. Um, But that's somebody could write a book about that, Bruce. I think Dan Wetzel's written a version of that and it just could be updated with, Hey, remember those idiots? <laughs> 12 years them. later, nothing's changed. They've outsourced it to, to another batch of idiots, an even bigger batch of idiots. As always, you can send your emails to the audible pod at gmail.com. Hopefully this time next week, I'm personally rooting for a Bengals 49ers Super Bowl. What do you want? Uh, I would be rooting for a, Bengals Eagles Super Bowl. Um, yeah, I'm a that's the Bengals fan in me who wants to avenge the the ghosts of Boomer and Icky Woods, uh, all the all the guys from the '80s that Joe Montana um, vanquished, vanquished uh, in those in those two Super Bowls in the '80s. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.